0: Shalom. Welcome to the New Millennium Edition of the Torah Teaching. This audio program is produced by Lion and Lamb Ministries and is presented by Marty Judah. Let me read for you very quickly just a few of the this part of chapter 26, and then we'll open it up and examine what the Lord has for us. Then it shall be when you enter the land, which the Lord your God gives to you as an inheritance, and you possess it and you live in it, then you shall take some of the first fruits of all the produce of the ground, which you shall bring in from your land that the Lord your God gives you, and you shall put it in a basket and go to the place where the Lord your God chooses to establish his name. And you shall go to the priest who is in the office at that time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord my God that I have entered the land which the Lord swore to our fathers to give us. Then the priest shall take the basket from your hand and set it down before the altar of the Lord your God. And you shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Armenian and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there few in number. But there he became a great, mighty, and populous nation. And the Egyptians treated us harshly and afflicted us and imposed hard labor on us. Then we cried to the Lord, the God of our fathers. And the Lord heard our voice and saw our affliction and our toil and our oppression. And the Lord brought us up out of Egypt with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and with great terror and with signs and wonders. And he brought us to this place. And has given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now behold, I have brought the first of the produce of the ground which thou, O Lord, hast given me. And you shall set it down before the Lord your God and worship before he, the Lord your God. And you and the Levite and the alien who is among you shall rejoice in all the good which the Lord your God has given you, you and your household." And when you have finished paying all the tithe of your increase in the third year, the year of tithing, then you shall give it to the Levite, to the stranger, to the orphan, and to the widow, that they may eat in their towns and be satisfied. And you shall say before the Lord your God, I have removed the sacred portion from my house, and I've also given it to the Levite and the alien and the orphan and the widow. According to all thy commandments which thou hast commanded me, I have not transgressed or forgotten any of thy commandments. I have not eaten of it while mourning, nor have I removed any of it while I was unclean, nor offered any of it to the dead. I have listened to the voice of the Lord my God. I have done according to all that thou hast commanded me. Look down from thy holy habitation from heaven and bless thy people Israel and the ground which thou hast given us, a land flowing with milk and honey as thou didst swear to our fathers. This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances, and you shall be therefore be careful to do all of them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have today declared the Lord to be your God and that you would walk in His ways and keep His statutes, His commandments and His ordinances and listen to His voice. And the Lord has today declared to you that to be His people, a treasured possession as He promised you that you should keep all of His commandments and that He shall set you high above all the nations which He has made for praise, fame and honor and that you shall be a consecrated people to the Lord your God as he has spoken. Thus begins the portion called when you enter in. This uh, is the actually the third portion before the Torah ends and Deuteronomy. There's actually two more portions after this. And the truth of the matter is the next portion is actually the ending portion. Next portion will be the ending portion. And then we have Rosh Hashanah. And then there's one more portion between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, the last portion of Deuteronomy. This is the this is when Moses is beginning to close not only the book of Deuteronomy, because the next portion will be very similar to this one in certain respects, but it's also the close of the whole Torah. Now, for those of you who've been coming and have been a part of the study all year long, when we began last October with the portion called Bereshit in the beginning, we're coming back around, and there's certain themes that are going to be tied together. You know, if you write a good book, there's always a great opening, some substantive material in the middle, and there's a great ending. The Torah has a great ending, which you will see in the coming weeks. Moses is beginning to tie it together. What he's basically saying is this. Look, you know, remember the story. How our fathers were called by God. Our fathers were raised up and given a covenant, and their descendants, small in number, went down into Egypt and we came up out of Egypt and now we're a mighty nation. God, this is what God's doing. And here we are, the nation now and we're getting ready to go in and receive the promise, the promise of the promised land. And there's certain instructions that are being given to us about how to receive this most excellent gift. And the instructions that are given right here for the children of Israel to go in and to receive the land of Israel are the same instructions for you to receive the new covenant. Because you've received a great promise when you've received the Messiah. These people back here got the land of Israel, but they didn't had not received the promise of the Messiah. We are the people who've received the promise of the Messiah. And there's certain instructions that he's given here for the receiving of a great gift from God that are applicable to us. And furthermore, it goes beyond us. These are the same instructions that we will follow when we go into the millennial kingdom. These will be the first things that we will be doing when we go there. Because Moses is giving instruction on how to receive, truly receive the great promises of God. For this generation, it was to receive the land. And he gives some basic instructions on how we are to receive these great promises and gifts from God. It's very interesting. He says, when you get there, I want you to gather up the first fruits and bring it to the Lord. Now, they were going into the land of Israel. And the first fruits for them were of the wheat, of the barley, of the vines, of the figs, of the pomegranates, of the olives, and of the date honey. Certain produce that came with the land that was the blessing. And God said, I want you to gather the first fruits of those things, bring them in a basket. Come down, interestingly enough, to where the altar is. Present them to the Lord. And there set them and give them to the Lord who ate them the Levites. The widow, the orphan and the poor ate what belonged to the Lord. But we would bring them to the Lord for him to distribute to his house as to whoever that might be. And there was this declaration. There was this uh, there was this statement to be made. I have obeyed the Lord. I have entered into the land. I have received the promise that the Lord gave to my fathers. I am the recipient of these great things that the Lord has wanted to do. And the conclusion was not just the first fruits, but he also added to it, and you shall also bring all of the tithe. The tithe of the third year and you should bring it all in before me. That way you will show to me that you've entered into the land and you've fully received the promise. Now, it's a kind of an ironic thing. Let's see, I've received the promise because I've given some back? Yeah, that's right. That's the real sign that you've received the promise is when you start to give back. The person who just comes in and receives the gift and takes, 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 and there's no, no turnaround, no valuation that's been taking place, no giving back. They haven't really received it yet. They don't even know what it is yet. They're kind of a take, 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 and they they don't understand what the promise is about. But God is looking for when there would be this response, and it would be an indicator of that the person has really received the promise. They've received the benefit of the land. There's an old um, expression, I'm sure you're familiar with it, that uh, where a man's heart is, there will his treasure be also. Because what we do with our increase will demonstrate where our heart is at. And quite honestly, in a messianic congregation, in fact for any congregation that forms, you want to know when the people are really with the congregation, when they're with the Lord to go and serve? It's what, when they start bringing their money in. It's when they bring their increase in and their first fruits and their tithe. When they start bringing the best part that the Lord has given to them and they value it before the Lord. That is when the people have truly received the benefit of the assembly, received the benefit of the promises, and they demonstrate it. It comes quite naturally because their heart has been moved to do it. Now, I could say that yes, it was the instruction of Moses. I could say yes, he said, yes, gather the first fruits. But you and I both know, quite honestly, that it won't happen until the heart's ready to do it. It just won't happen. I, you, God can give you the commandment all you want, and you're not going to tithe, and you're not going to give of your first fruits until your heart has moved to do so. Until God has somehow gotten in there, gotten a hold of you, you've tasted the blessing. You've received the promise, and it's moved you, stirred you, changed you. And you've changed yourself, the the person that's in you, who was always ministering to you. And now it's your desire to bless back that which you have received. I teach people that before you can learn to give, you must learn to receive. You have to learn what is this great gift that God has given to me of life, of eternal life the blessings that he's given before you can learn to value the gift to give to another. The giver is the one who decides the value of the gift. He's the one, not the receiver, the giver. And God has given us a great and awesome and wonderful gift in the Messiah. It is not us who value him. God's already valued him. And you get to value the gift that you get to give. What the Lord is in saying is bring the best part. Bring the best part that you have of you. Now I could go into the New Testament. We could spend the rest of the evening just talking about the concept of first fruits, how the Messiah was the first fruits of many brethren, how we are the first fruits of the nations that God has chosen up, that we've been gathered up for the Lord. He's values us. He calls us the best of the world. We are the first fruits of the world. That's how he values us. And his son is the first fruit among many brethren for us. What Moses is teaching and says, listen, when you come in and receive the promise of the land, let's do this first fruits thing first. Let's get it square. Whose land is it? Who gave it? How did you receive it? Let's honor the Lord. Let's say thank you. That's what this is about. Now, as children, your parents teach you, you know, when you receive something, don't forget to say thank you. Have you ever seen that? You know, the parents, you know, the little kid gets something kind of as a surprise or or even a promise, and they teach them. say say, thank you, thank you. That's what's going on here. A little spiritual training. Remember, don't forget to say thank you to the Lord for this great promise He's given to you because you're the ones who've received it. So therefore, it's appropriate, only appropriate for the sons of Israel to say thank you to the Lord by returning back to them the best part, saying thank you, Lord. And it's true also for us that as we would stop and think of the great gift we received to the Messiah, we ought to stop and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you for eternal life. Thank you for forgiveness of sins. Thank you that you poured out your life for me. Thank you. There's a very interesting story, a story I heard a long time ago when I was a young believer, and it really penetrated me, It really penetrated me. It was a story about a man who, uh, who used to work for the railroad, and he was over in the east part of the United States, and he was the guy who operated the drawbridge for the railroad to cross the river, let the ships go up and down the river, and put the bridge down for the trains to go across, and, and he had a son, and the story goes that um, one day well, the son was interested in what dad did, and dad said, well, I'd love to have you come and see what I do, and, and they came, and they were looking around and so forth, and, and suddenly the, uh, they heard off in the distance the, the train whistle, that a train was approaching, and the father, the operator, realized the bridge is still up. And so he went into the control room and he began to move the uh, controls and, and the bridge began to lower and these huge gears began to move. To And that's when, to his shock, he saw that his son's clothing had been trapped into the gear work. And he had to make a decision right there. Do I uncrank it and get my son free And the train is going to crash into the bridge and into the river? Or do I continue to let the controls lower the bridge so that the train might be delivered and go across the bridge? He made a decision to save the train. And as the gears turned slowly, it just drew his son in more and more as he cried out and crushed his son in the gears. And he died. And the train went zooming past safe It was kind of interesting because the story came out almost immediately the next day that everybody on the train had been saved by the decision of the of the railroad operator No one came back to the man to say thank you No one It's kind of a little bit like the Lord How many people come back to say thank you Lord that you gave your son so that I might have a payment for sin, that I might have eternal life, that I would live on forever. But we have the opportunity to do, to go back and say thank you. We have the opportunity to sit down with the Lord and say thank you, Lord. Thank you for this great thing that you have done for us. And here is the instruction where he says the first thing that you will do when you get in the land is you will say thank you so that we'll know that you've received the promise, that you've received this great gift that God has done. In um, verse 16, This day the Lord your God commands you to do these statutes and ordinances. You shall therefore be careful to do them with all your heart and with all your soul. You have today declared the Lord to be your God. Because when you go in to say thank you and you present the first fruits and you present the tithe, you're saying... You're my God. And the way the teaching is uh, given here in verse 18, it says, and the Lord has today declared to you to be his people. You say, you're my God. And God responds and says, you're my people. Now just stop and think about that for a moment. That's a wonderful thing. I mean, it's nice for you to say yes to the Lord. It's a whole nother thing to be hearing from the Lord say you belong to me. That's great. So it's not just some one sided thing. There's going to be a response from the Lord. Even the Lord is compelled when you say thank you to follow through with you. And that's is the bonds of the relationship that we have with this God, all other gods, would take a thank you but they would forget to say oh yes i'm your god you're my people up uh, let me before i skip past it let me show you in verse 12 and verse 13 a very interesting thing that exists in the scripture and is brought out a little bit by the hebrew when you have finished paying all the tithe the tithe in the hebrew is aser and it uses a very interesting word here, all the tithe, that says kol haser. Now, let me just tell you, in Hebrew, kol means voice. Kol, simcha, the voice of happiness, the voice of joy. Kol haser. And basically what it's saying is this, you haven't paid all the tithe. You have not collected all that is the Lord's until you say it to him. If you just gather some stuff up and so forth and take it to the Lord and you just give it, you, he, the Lord wants to hear you say, I have all of it for you now, Lord. I have paid you. I have, you know, he wants to know and hear you say it. And in fact, that's exactly what it says. Verse 13, and you shall say it. You shall say it. There's a couple of things that take place there. You're making a declaration and say, I'm obeying, Lord. I have gathered all the tithe. I've gathered all that belongs to you and rendered it back to you properly. And there's something special about saying it to the Lord. In the traditional teaching, in the traditional observance of the Hebrews, uh, some at various holidays and at various times as we obey certain commandments, we are to say the commandment back to the Lord. For example, when we gather up at the Passover and we gather up all the unleavened, And we gathered up in the little sack and the feather and so forth, and we cast it out of the house while we are to say to the Lord, Lord, I have obeyed your commandment. I have removed the leaven from my house. I have obeyed you, Lord. And that when we, it says here, when you give the annual tithe for the three-year tithe, you're supposed to say, Lord, I've gathered all the tithe. I have obeyed you. Say it to him. And various other traditions and times. In fact, The actual time that we say these words, did you know that this is part of the Haggadah and the Passover? Every year in the Passover, we say these following words. We say, my father was a wandering Armenian and he went down to Egypt and sojourned there and few in number. But there he became a great, mighty and populous nation and it continues on. This is the liturgy of the Passover. And every year the children of Israel say these words to the Lord at the Feast of Redemption to say, Thank you, Lord, for the redemption. Thank you. And we too as believers in the Redeemer, when the Passover sacrifice came to us at the Passover, we ought to be saying these words. Thank you, Lord, for the Redeemer who's come and redeemed me. We ought to say it with our mouth. So it's with all of our heart. Do you remember what it says, the spiritual law? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He says to obey me with all of your heart. How will you know it's with all of your heart when your mouth is uttering it out? When your mouth, when your heart's so full that it comes out your mouth. So that when we keep the tithe, so it comes out of the mouth. We've obeyed with all of our heart, with all of our might, with all of our soul to do these things. I don't know if you noticed or not, but there's two times there. Verse 3 and verse 16 is the expression, this day. Verse 3, and you shall go to the priest who is in the office at the time and say to him, I declare this day to the Lord. And then down in verse 16, this day the Lord commands you. It occurs two more times in this Torah portion. In chapter 27 and verse 9, Then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all of Israel, saying, Be silent and listen, O Lord, this day. And then finally, I believe it's over in chapter 29, verse 4. Yet to this day the Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. Any time that we see certain repetitions in the uh, Torah portion, it's a clue as to the structure and what the real lesson is about. It's a dead giveaway. We ought to, we ought to pay particular note and attention to that. So as we go through that, we're going to take note of those passages to see what is the Lord trying to say this day is? What is supposed to happen on this day? The day that they go in to say thank you. What are we supposed to understand and realize that comes from it? Uh, but let me go back to chapter 27 and tell you the next procedure that Moses gives to the children of Israel that they are to do once they go into the land. He says that when you go into the land, he says, gather up your first fruits, bring them before the priest, put them before the altar, and say this declaration. Bring in the tithe from the third year and say to the Lord, you have obeyed the Lord, you have received the promise. And then he says to all of Israel, chapter 27, verse 1, that Moses and the elders of Israel charged the people saying, Keep all the commandments which I command you today. So it shall be on the day when you cross the Jordan to the land which the Lord your God gives you, that you shall set up for yourself large stones and coat them with lime and write on them all the words of this law when you cross over in order that you may enter the land which the Lord your God gives you, a land flowing with milk and honey as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. So it shall be when you cross the Jordan that you shall set up on Mount Ebal these stones as I am commanding you today, and you shall coat them with line. Moreover, you shall build there an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall not wield an iron tool on them. You shall build an altar of the Lord your God of uncut stones. You shall offer it up on burnt offerings to the Lord your God, and you shall sacrifice peace offerings and eat there, and you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very distinctly. Then Moses and the Levitical priests spoke to all of Israel saying, Be silent and listen, O Israel. This day you have become the people for the Lord your God. Now there's a very interesting procedure that was followed through. In fact, the evidence is that they did do this when they went over into the land. And we're going to review that for real briefly, but let's talk about the altar again for a moment. All of God's altars must be made from stone that has not been hewn by a man. Any stone that goes into the making up of an altar for God cannot in any way have had a man who's kind of smoothed it or, or made a nice sharp corner on it. They have to go find stones that God has made that no man has, has altered. And he says those stones can be gathered up and they can be arranged and stacked and then man is permitted to put the plaster and the mortar to it, but they know that every stone in that altar was made only by God. And here's the reason why. is because those stones then become the symbol and the testimony to everyone who sees the altar that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Because you see these stones, they were made only by me, not by any man. They have not even been altered by man. They are made exactly the way I made them. And it is a testimony of God's ownership mark. In this place, I do business with man. Altars do not necessarily symbolize the sacrifice. Sacrifices are brought there. They symbolize God's ownership mark on the earth there is one restriction on the earth that proves that he owns the place now let me give you just a little basics in real estate law how do you know that someone owns the land is because they have the right to put a restriction upon it how do we know that god owned the garden of eden because he took one tree out of the garden he said this one you will not eat of man this one's mine and it's one restriction which proves that he owns the place. When they ate of that tree, they broke that restriction and were bringing into challenge whether or not this garden belongs to God or not. And he proved that it was because he evicted them. The same is true of this earth. Instead of the tree of life, God's ownership mark is the altar. And he says, when you make my altar, you will not hew the stones. They're my stones. You will pick up virgin stones. You will bring them up here, and that's what we'll use. That way it will be proof. Anybody wants to know whose altar is this? It's the same one that owns the rest of the earth because these stones came from the earth, not touched by a man. Very, very important point. I want you to get note of this now. What's the common thing? Between Moses' personal instruction of the individual man to go for first fruits and tithe versus the whole nation to do this corporate thing, it's the altar. Whether you be an individual or you be a nation, you want to come do business with God, do it here at the altar. This is where we do business with God. When you brought your first fruits in, where did you set them? Right at the altar. The nation of Israel wants to do some business with God, where do you do it? Right at the altar. And the fact of the matter is, if you want to do business with God in your life, you're going to have to do it at the altar. Now, many of you may be asking, well, where is the altar? You know, there's no altar over in Jerusalem. Where is it? That's the reason why Yeshua was resurrected, so that he might raise up within you the tabernacle of God. And in that tabernacle is the altar of the living God for you to go in here to your heart before the Lord and do business at the altar. This is where you take the first fruits. It's from the heart that you obey, not just your hands, but from the heart you first obey. And this is where the altar is at in here, for you to do business before the Lord. It's not different than it was then. It's the same thing. Now, this procedure called for as I mentioned to you about the two mountains, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal, these are the two mountains that set in the city that we now know to be Shechem in the northern part of Israel. And Shechem means shoulders. And if you go there and you look, it looks like a couple of shoulders. And they're not too high, but they call them mountains. Over in Israel, they call anything that looks like a bump a mountain, uh, not like here in the Rocky Mountains or something. But it's called a mountain, you know, a tell. And uh Moses gives instruction that he's going to put six of the tribes up on this one mountain and put six of the tribes up on this one mountain, and there's going to be this altar there between them, and that the Levites are going to call out certain things, and the people are going to respond by saying, Amen. Here's what it says. Here's the commandments that the uh, priests call out. There in, in uh, verse 11, follow along with me as I read. Moses also charged the people on that day, saying, When you cross the Jordan, these shall stand on Mount Gerizim to bless the people, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. And for the curse, these shall stand on Mount Ebal, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, and Naphtali. It's not that one is being blessed and one is being cursed. No, it's that they're all going to stand on the mountains of God. They're going to stand on either side of the altar, and they're going to hear what the blessing is, and they're going to hear what the curse is. We're going to get it straight. What's blessing? What's curse? This is where the Lord cuts the line. And the Levites, verse 14, the Levites shall then answer and say to all the men of Israel with a loud voice, listen to this now. And as I read this, I want you to kind of participate in this little ceremony that Israel did. As I read, just under your breath, say, Amen. as where it says. Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord, the work of the hands of the craftsman, and sets it up in secret, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is he who dishonors his father or mother, and all the people shall say amen. Cursed is he who moves his neighbor's boundary mark, and all the people shall say Amen. Cursed is he who misleads a blind person on the road, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who distorts the justice due an alien, orphan, and widow, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his father's wife, because he has uncovered his father's skirt, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with any animal, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his sister, the daughter of his father or his mother, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who lies with his mother-in-law, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who strikes his neighbor in secret, and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who accepts a bride to strike down an innocent person and all the people shall say, Amen. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them and all the people shall say, Amen. This is not a new set of Ten Commandments. These are 12 specific commandments. This is not a new code for living. This does not replace the Ten Commandments. This does not replace any of the 613 commandments. Moses has selected 12 particular commandments. Because like under the first fruits, when you do it, you believe. You've received the promise. There's something about these 12 commandments that if you obey them, you understand something. There's one thing in common with all these commandments. These are the sins that you do in secret. You see, it's not so much that you would obey the Lord publicly. It's that you would obey the Lord when no one knows that you're obeying the Lord. Then you're obeying the Lord. If you go through these, it's very interesting. In fact, the first one's the dead giveaway. Curses this man who makes an idol for a molten image An abomination to the Lord The work of the hands of the craftsman, And sets it up in secret These are the sins that you do That's hard to find you guilty of Other men probably will have difficulty proving it Finding you guilty But these are the ones that you'll do secretly and privately You'll set up an idol privately, not even anybody else knows about it. Well, you're saying, well, you know, surely they're not talking about the wooden type and the stone. No, I'm talking about the idols in your heart. I'm talking about that even your wife wouldn't know about it and your children wouldn't know about it. You could fake it. You could, you could convince everybody, but down in your heart, you've made something else a god. Cursed is he. Who makes an idol in secret in his heart? You will not get the blessing. You will not receive the promises of the Lord. You're cursed. You're going to get the other. You're not going to get the blessing. If you go down through that list, these are all sins that we try to do secretly. You remember it listed in there four times sexual immorality. Incest Incest is the secret sin of a family. They keep it secret. They don't want nobody to know that that's happened. And actually, the predators of it, they want it to stay secret. But the Lord knows. The Lord knows whether or not you have obeyed. But if you're doing this in secret, you are cursed. And they're saying it right up front. Before we get into the land and before we start living in the land and before anything starts happening, let's just make sure we understand how this works, Israel. You sin secretly before the Lord. You get the curse. I don't care if you are in the land. You don't get the blessing. Now, you might be successful in hiding it from others, but you're not going to hide it from the Lord. You might be successful and tripping a blind person and getting away with it and the blind person not knowing who did it. And by the way, that also includes not just blind with the eye. It means that if a person who doesn't understand, he's naive. You mislead the naive and misdirect them and cause them to fall. The Lord knows. The same thing is with a boundary mark. It just sits out there by itself. If you move it over, the Lord knows you moved it. Maybe the other guy doesn't know it. He comes out there, he's got a question about what happened to the boundary mark, but he he, did, he can't quite remember exactly where it was. But the Lord knows it got moved by you. And the same is with that tenth one there, striking your neighbor. Now think about that for a minute. If this is a secret one, how could you strike your neighbor and it be in secret? Well, you strike him by striking down his name and slandering him. It's when you go and you dishonor him with other people and discredit him so that in effect it's you might as well have hit him with a stick because the effect that will come in later on will be devastating to him, you know, from others because you've struck your neighbor, but you did it in secret. Finally, it says taking a bribe. We all know that one. You know, bribes are always done in secret. (laughs) People don't go around advertising. Hey, I got a bribe for anybody who wants a bribe. (laughs) Oh, I'll take one. No, no, no. This is in secret. This is in the dark at other times. Cursed is he who would take a bribe in secret to strike down the innocent, to do harm to others that only deserve justice but I want you to pay particular attention to the last one. Cursed is he who does not confirm the words of this law by doing them. You know, you thought it was a choice. You thought the choices went something like this. Obey God, get the blessing. Don't obey God, you go into neutral. (laughs) Got news for you. You get a curse. Don't want the blessing? You get the curse. The same curse that a person who commits incest. The same curse who lies. The same curse who pays for a bribe. The same curse. Just for not obeying and doing the words of the law. That you would not declare with obedience in your life to obey the Lord, to not confirm these commandments to be true, that you would choose other commandments to follow after the traditions of men and not after God. And that's usually where the curse comes because when you start taking following the commandments of men, you get taken captive. You're not free. No blessing. And you get what you deserve, so to speak since you didn't want to obey the Lord. That is a very profound <laughs> statement, brethren. Very profound. Because of the fact of the matter is, we live in a community, a society, in a generation, and it's been going on for multiple numbers of generations. No, we're not supposed to obey the words of the law. And the world is reaping the curse. We're not moving forward with the Lord. We're digressing. And the world is increasing. Technology is going forward, but the morality of man is going down the tubes. We've got a curse on us because of it. Because we will not obey the Lord. Now, what is this great blessing? If we're missing out on it, what what is this great blessing that he's offering to us? Chapter 28, verse 1. Now it shall be, if you will diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments, which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. The 47th Psalm that we read tonight. The reason why we selected that Psalm is because of... Uh, the the words that were contained in the third verse. Listen to it again. Let me read the first part of the psalm. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with voice of joy. For the Lord most high is to be feared. A great king over all of the earth. He subdues peoples under us and nations under our feet. He raises us up. And that's what it says. If you will obey the Lord your God... The Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. Now, for those who kind of do a historical study on the Bible and the children of Israel, there is certainly evidences that people within the children of Israel have excelled individually very well. The history of, I, I dare say that within that one small ethnic group, their contribution to civilization far exceeds any other nation. I don't think you'd have too much of a debate about showing that. And the reason is because that's the blessing that God said he would put upon them. It's not because Israel was that great. It's because the blessing of the God of Israel is that great that he causes that to happen. But at the same time, we also see that we're also being made the least, that we're also paying severely for not obeying. We are the living example of what it is to get the blessing of God, turn around, disobey, and get the curse at the same time. We are the living example of it. Blessing and curse. You Gentiles ought to get it from us. You ought to figure this out and start obeying the Lord. Okay? That's our testimony. And all these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you if you will obey the Lord your God. I love that verse. The concept of the blessing running you down. (laughs) You know, you're looking for the blessing. Where's the blessing? Where's the blessing? Where's the blessing? It's running after you, trying to catch you. The blessing will outperform what you thought it was going to do. The blessing will be greater than what you thought it was going to do. Listen to the way the Lord describes this blessing Blessed shall you be. In the city. Blessed shall you be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body and produce of your ground and the offspring of your breast and increase of your herd and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and the kneading bowl. Blessed shall be you be when you come in and when you shall go out. The Lord will cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They shall come out against you one way and flee from you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessing upon you and your barns and all that you put your hand to, and he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, as he swore to you, if you will keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways, so all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the Lord, and they shall be afraid of you, and the Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body, and the offspring of your breast, and the produce of your ground, and the land which the Lord swore to you your fathers to give you The Lord will open up for you his good storehouse and the heavens to give rain for your land in a season to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. And the Lord shall make you the head and not the tail. And you shall be above all and you shall not be underneath. If you will listen to the commandments of the Lord, your God, when I charge you today to observe them carefully and do not turn aside from any of the words which I command you today to the right or to the left to go after other gods gods to serve them. It's an interesting blessing the Lord will give you. The Lord says, I will make you ride upon the heights of the earth. Now, I remember when I was being first confronted with the gospel message, that great verse in John ten ten. You know, and the Lord will not only give you life, but abundant life. Man, I I like the words of that. I really did. when I used to go out and share the faith with lots of men, I used to go out and i say, Look, let me tell you something what this is about. This is life. Only it's not life what you think. It's life that's even better than what you think. It's abundant life. That's what this is about. It's abundant life. Life with a blessing. You're the head, not the tail. You're the one that gets the front seat not the back seat. You're the one that sits on top instead of being run over. You get the blessing, the best of everything that can be. And it's not just tied, connected to you. Whenever you walk up and you have the ground and it's like my tomato plant back there at my house. This year I have a tomato plant that's this big. Me and the Lord been having a lot of quiet times back out there with that tomato plant. And when it first started growing up, it was doing great, but it didn't have much fruit. And I started getting kind of concerned. I said, Lord, this plant's of no good if it doesn't have some fruit. So I started praying for fruit. Fruit. Big fruit. Lots of fruit. Right at the eyeball level. Fruit. Big tomato plant. Fruit all at the eyeball level. See that's what happens. You don't realize this, but when God knows exactly where you live and what you're doing and if you're obeying the Lord and you want to walk with the Lord, you know he just makes everything around you blessed. And ladies, I'm sure that you could give testimonies of your house plants too. You talk to him, thank the Lord, thank you Lord, you know. The blessings there too. Now I'm not talking about a blessing where you're able to cash it in for gain. I'm talking about the the real blessing, the blessing of peace, the blessing of joy, the blessing of wholeness, the blessing that is the real blessing, the blessing of contentment, that blessing that the Lord would give you of peace. Shalom, the word shalom means that feeling right after you've had supper when your appetite has been satisfied you've been filled feels good you're at peace you don't want to you're just right at that point where you don't need to eat anything more but you don't need to necessarily get up and run away either you're just at that little moment right there where it's just very calm and very pleasant that's that's the shalom contentment that the lord has to offer the blessing that has to do with it You know, um, in other ancient religions and in other uh, cultures, especially those that say like God is the sun or the moon or other things like they have sacrifices. And they teach in their religion that if you'll make this sacrifice or do this ritual or do this whatever, that you will somehow manipulate this God into doing something for you. If you'll make this sacrifice, follow this ritual, do it this way, the sun God will do such and such for you. It's a little bit like a vending machine. You know, if you put the right coins in the right place, pull the right knob, you'll get it. A lot of people have the idea that God works like that. I call it cookbook Christianity. You know? Lord, I really kind of need a kind of a bean blessing right now. Let's pull down the cookbook. Okay, how do we fix beans for a bean blessing? Okay, i got to do this, three Hail you know, whatever. You get this idea that somehow or another you're going to do certain religious kinds of things. You're going to cease from doing certain sinful things in exchange for this God to do something good for you. I have news for you. That's not the blessing. God doesn't answer those kinds of things. God says, no, no, the way this works is for you to get the blessing, you need to get the real blessing, not a temporary fix. You know, God's not like, you know, a a dope pusher. I need a little blessing. I need a little high. You know, here's here's my shekels. You know, hit me up. He's not a dope pusher. God's like a father, loving He says, look, come into the house and let's live wholesome. Let's do it right. And then over the long haul, you'll reap the benefit way beyond anything that you could have done one at a time. You'll get the whole inheritance of the blessing. And that's basically what's being explained here. Because the other guys are going to go out and get the blessing for in the city, but not the one in the country. And then when they go to the country, they say, oh, I got to get that one now but he says no i'm going to give it to you all wherever you go wherever you walk that's where the blessing will be the blessing will chase you down it'll be right after you the whole time in fact if you try to run away it'll it'll outrun you it'll look for you and hunt you down i love especially the way about the enemy i don't to me that's a that's a um I'd love to see that scene, you know, in real life, you know, the enemy coming in one way and going out seven ways, you know, to try to get away from you. I was asked not too long ago, in fact, last week when I was up sharing with the people and they were asking me, well, well, money says, "Uh, don't you have a lot of people kind of coming up and just really trying to um, argue with you, you know, coming up and confronting you? And I said, no, no well, why not? I mean, you know, it's not for lack of saying something controversial. <laughs> and I told him, I said, it's because they're intimidated. Not by me. They're intimidated by the Lord. Because they walk in and they see, they see there's a blessing here. The Lord's with me. And as a result, the testimony is very, maybe they don't understand it, but the testimony is very clear. Whatever you do, don't take that guy on so they don't. So here you guys would be worrying for me and concerned, you know, that I'm, well, I must be sure out there on the front lines. And so forth. I just move through and they all move out of the way. Where the Lord wants me to go, I go there. No problem. There's no confrontation. Last week, we got to share with cross-cultural lines. Pastors from different churches in the same assembly with the Amish you know, with Baptists, with Catholics, with Mormons. All listening. Now, they're, they're not necessarily cooperating with each other, but nobody dares ask a hard question of me. They're just listening. And I could greet each one in the name of the Lord and go and share with them. That's what the blessing is described as. Your enemies do not prevail over you. They flee. They might come in through one door, but they'll look for windows and everything the other way to try to get out of there if you want to get into it. Well, that's great. That's the blessing. Now I got the bad news for you. And that's what the rest of this Torah portion is. Extending and going all the way to chapter 29 and verse 9. It says, I know you, Israel. You won't go for the blessing, you won't obey. And in fact, the passage, it's a fascinating passage to read, chapter 28, right after there, beginning at verse 15, and it just extends and it keeps going and goes all the way over to chapter 29, and um, it, it tells the history of the nation of Israel. Now, I want you to take note of this. This is Moses who writes this, before they crossed over the River Jordan, and Moses prophesied the history of the nation of Israel. In fact, the, the rabbis look through this passage and they say, yeah, <laughs> boy, did he have us figured out. Because that's exactly what happened to us. In fact, it went all the way to the point, listen to this prophecy from Moses. It wasn't given as a prophecy, it was given as a description of what the curse is going to be. If you don't go for the blessing, this is the curse. Here's the curse. uh, Chapter 28, verse 64. I won't read all those other words to you because it was terrible. Moreover, the Lord will scatter you among all peoples from one end of the earth to the other end of the earth, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone, which you or your fathers have not known, and among those nations you shall not find rest, And there shall be no resting place for the sole of your foot, but there the Lord will give you a trembling heart, failing eyes, and despair of soul. So your life shall hang in doubt before you, and you shall be in dread day and night, and shall have no assurance of your life. And in the morning you shall say, Would it be that it was in evening? And at the evening you shall say, Would it be that it was in the morning? Because of the dread of your heart which you dread, and for the sight of your eyes, which you shall see. And the Lord will bring you back to Egypt in ships. By the way which I spoke to you, you will never see it again. And there you shall offer yourselves for sale to your enemies as male and female slaves, but there will be no buyer. Do you remember the issue there in the wilderness with Moses? Every time something bad happened, every time there was a little... A little shortage on water, a little shortage on food, whatever the case may be. They say, oh, Moses that you brought us out to the wilderness, we should have stayed in Egypt. At least in Egypt we had onions and melons and cucumbers. You brought us out. wasn't enough graves in Egypt, so you brought us out here in the wilderness so we'd have enough graves to die. You know what? M- Moses kind of has the final word on this. He says, you guys are going to go over to the promised land and let me tell you what's going to happen. The curse is going to be upon you so bad that they will cart you back to Egypt. And you'll be so devalued. They won't even want to buy you. They won't even take you back as slaves. Man, you talk about, you know, turnaround they're all the, you know they they were slaves and they got delivered from being slaves and he says when, when you get the curse thing they're going to haul you back there and nobody's going to want you not even for a slave that's how unwanted you'll be that's how low value you'll have cuz you've devalued yourself because of the curse and that happened that happened It's clearly recorded in the history of Israel that a whole bunch of slaves were taken back after the Roman conquest. And they hauled them by ships to the Egyptians. And the Romans tried to sell all these Jewish slaves to the Egyptians, and the Egyptians wouldn't even buy them, wouldn't even take them back. They just let them go kicked out of the land and scattered. I um, I don't know if I've shared this with the congregation personally, but I, I cannot watch um, Holocaust movies or stories. I, I just can't do it. Um, I think that every Jewish person that lives today has to be reconciled to that one way or another. I'm not sure what the solution is, but I, I know that we have to be reconciled to the Holocaust and the hard thing about being reconciled to the holocaust it's what moses said it's what moses said that our life would hang in doubt and we would be so devalued by other people that we would be less than humans that's what that's what comes with the curse when you don't obey the lord instead of freedom slavery and when you get it real bad, slavery where they don't even count you worth a slave. And I wish I could say to you the essence of the teaching of Moses is why don't you just obey the Lord? Why don't you just obey the Lord? And get the blessing. Choose the blessing. Because Moses is begging with the children of Israel before they go over to the River Jordan. He knows these things are going to happen to him think about that for a He's at the end of his life, all that he poured his life into for them. And he knows that many generations afterwards they'll go and they'll not choose the Lord. And they'll suffer these consequences. Well, praise God, there's one more Torah portion after this because there's another choice. There's another outcome to this story. But at this particular point in the Torah portion, it concludes and it brings us to this Very, very simple point. I want you to take note of the last reference where Moses says, this day. And it pretty much sums up the end of this Torah portion and and the issue for Israel at this point. Chapter 29, verse 4, it says, Yet to this day, The Lord has not given you a heart to know, nor eyes to see, nor ears to hear. You're like blind people. We put the blessing and the curse out before you. We've given you the instruction. We've shown you the judgments of God. You've seen God's deliverance from the Egyptians. We've led you all these years through the wilderness. And you know what? You still don't know it. You still can't get it. And you still don't have eyes to see it and you still don't have ears to hear it. Even though all these things have happened. And you know, that's a commentary for today. Even after the Messiah came and we got the blessing from it, did the world have eyes to see it and ears to hear it and a heart to know it? No. And as we get ready to approach the end of the age, and we're really going to cross over the River Jordan this time and go into the Messianic Kingdom, only there you get an incorruptible body instead of a corruptible body where righteousness will dwell and the Lord will dwell in our midst. We're going to cross over to that. Where we are ready to cross over, just like they were ready to cross over, do we have a heart to know it? Do we have eyes to see it? Do we have ears to hear it? You know, I've got written in my Bible here beside this. When do we get the heart to know, the eyes to see, and the ears to hear, O Lord? When? When will we get it? I, I kind of identify with Moses here a little bit. Just what, could, what is it that we could possibly say? What is it that the Lord must do? What do you have to witness to get it? What does he have to do for you personally or corporately? What does he have to do in the world for you to get it that he's God? We're created by him. And he wants to love us and live with us and dwell with us. And he doesn't want us to die. He wants us to live. What is it that he was supposed to have done by now? You know what? I don't know. Seems to me that the choice is pretty simple. You, to, to not choose the Lord, you have to reject 6,000 years of history. All of the known history of mankind. You have to reject it all. And you have to say inside of yourself that I'm independent and separate from the whole world and all the rest of mankind and everything that's ever taken place. Because if you attach yourself anywhere in the world, if you recognize any part of the creation, including yourself, it seems to me it demands another answer. It demands another answer. So here we are faced with the decision that was made to cross the River Jordan to go take the land, and we've already historically seen the decision whether or not we will receive the Redeemer, the great promise of the blessing of redemption, and now we're getting ready for the great promise of restoration. Will this generation be different from the others? Will we get it? Will we finally get eyes to see? You know what it's going to take? It's going to take you have to go back with regard to what you've already received. Namely, the Messiah, and you're going to have to go present some first fruits to the Lord, and you're going to need to gather up all that's sacred of the tithe, and you're going to have to go and confess with your mouth and say, Thank you, Lord. And then I think you might get a glimmer of what's going on. Then you might see, you might hear, you might finally understand this great blessing that God has for us. And then it might motivate you and move you to the point that you'll get ready to cross over the Jordan for the big one. And we'll finally heed the words of Moses. Finally. Amen. For more information about Line and Land Ministries, call our office at 405-447-4429. Our address is Post Office Box 720-968, Norman, Oklahoma, 73070. Our web address is www.lionlam.net. Thank you.